you might have suspected that we're going to be talking about Thanksgiving today. Last week we finished up Paul's letter to the Colossians, and while the primary theme in that letter is the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ, there is another theme, a less prominent though important one, you may not have caught it, but it's the theme of thanksgiving and gratitude. Um, Paul refers to these at least seven times in that letter. That's actually pretty common for Paul. Um, As I started thinking about what to do, we're kind of in a weird place because we finished the book of Colossians. We've got a three-week Christmas series that's starting. And so we had a couple of weeks to fill, um, including today, and then we'll have um, another one to fill on um, New Year's. And actually, I've got kind of something interesting planned for that, something I've never done before, so that's going to be cool. But this is also something I've never done before. I started thinking about Thanksgiving and realized that in 35-plus years of preaching and teaching, I've never once taught on thankfulness, aside from just where it appears in individual texts as I go through a book of the Bible. But I've never actually spent a specific session just on Thanksgiving. And to be real honest, I was kind of startled by that because I thought that is a fairly major and significant theme throughout the scriptures, and yet I had never specifically dedicated a particular teaching time to just that. So I thought we would do that this morning that seems to to fit, since we're in a season of Thanksgiving here. The topic of Thanksgiving and gratitude is found almost, I think, 180 times or 180 verses in both the Old and the New Testament. Um, And almost always it is Thanksgiving directed towards God, almost in every case. It's actually a form of praise. If you wonder what Thanksgiving is, it's actually a form of praise to God. The two are linked. In fact, um, I'm going to just read these. I want you just to listen to these. Obviously, the book of Psalms is filled with thanksgiving. That's a huge place for us to turn when it comes to the, the theology of thanksgiving. But I'm just going to read a, a, few verse, or a few verses from Psalms, and then I've got a New Testament one for us as well. But just listen to these. Psalm chapter 69, verse 30. I will praise the name of God with song and magnify him with thanksgiving. Psalm 106, verse 1, Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Psalm chapter 111, verse 1, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all of my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. And then I'll give you a New Testament one. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give him thanks to his name. Now if you notice, in each one of those verses, we have the concept of praise coupled with thanksgiving. And that is repeated throughout the scriptures. Because thanksgiving is ultimately a way of praising God. It is a way of magnifying him and lifting him up. It's something exemplified by many of the Bible's heroes like Hannah and David and Daniel. We have Elizabeth, we have Mary's Magnificat, we've got the Apostle Paul. At least a third of the references to Thanksgiving in the Old Testament happened in the Psalms. Most of them were penned by David. Daniel 6.10, you might be familiar with this. Do you remember 
what it says about Daniel when he heard about the, the decree that was signed by the king that basically outlawed worshiping anybody other than the king. We're told that David went and knelt down and began to pray. Daniel 6.10 tells us that he did this on his knees Three times a day was his habit. And it says that he would get down and pray and offer thanksgiving to the Lord. His habit was doing that three times a day. When I started thinking about the letters by the Apostle Paul, it's kind of interesting there because out of all of his letters, only two of them don't mention praise and thanksgiving. One is for the Galatians and one is for Titus. Now I understand Galatians. <laughs> he wrote them to chastise them because of their abandonment of faith in Christ. But all of his other letters include elements of thanksgiving and praise. So it's a fairly major and significant theme throughout the scriptures. It's so important that the Bible even commands us to be thankful. I'm going to have you turn to a couple passages with me. And then as we look through um, the rest of our time this morning, as we go through some passages, this morning is going to primarily be a lot of page turning, a lot of reading. But I want to start with this idea of the command The Lord commands us to be thankful. First place I want us to turn is Colossians chapter 3. It's that we're told to be thankful in all things. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 15. It says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with what? Thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Three times in just this very short passage, Paul commands that we offer up thanks to the Lord. We are called, commanded to give thanks In all things. What about when we're anxious? Turn to Philippians chapter 4. I think about this in relationship to last night's, or yesterday afternoon's game, the debacle. It's now been four years since we have seen Ohio State crush Michigan. My wife yesterday, as we were during the game, I think even almost crossed that line of wanting to suggest that we would bribe the officials. I don't remember the exact, she didn't say that specifically. She said something to the line of, are the refs on our side? I think what she meant is the refs should be on our side. Um, almost crosses that line, but I know in our household, in fact, David even alluded to this, we went home and Amy sat on the couch and watched football almost the whole night. David mentioned it this morning that every game we watched where we had hoped for the team to win, lost. It's hard to be thankful. <laughs> now, come on, we, we all know it's, it's only football and we say that, but it does hit us emotionally, but might be asking a little much that we're thankful. Um, but we're told to be thankful even when we're anxious or even when we're feeling that way. Philippians chapter 4 Chapter, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests 
be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We are told that even when we are anxious, when we're worried, when we're struggling, we are supposed to still be thankful at that time. And that's, that's hard for us. It's easy to be thankful when things are going really, really well. It's not so easy to be thankful when things aren't going our way or when we're struggling or when we're fearful. I'm reminded of the apostles being thankful after being arrested and brutalized, tortured. I remember Paul and Silas in prison who, there they are shackled in prison and what are they doing? They're singing songs of praise, thanksgiving to the Lord. It's difficult in those circumstances, but nonetheless the Lord tells us to be thankful at those times. Why? Well, he tells us here so that the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. One of the ways we do that when we are anxious and when we're struggling, one of the ways we protect our minds is by being thankful, praising the Lord and letting the peace of Christ come in. We're also told to lift up thanksgiving on behalf of others. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Just the first two verses. First of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions, and what? And thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. For kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. That's a little bit challenging too, that we're supposed to give thanksgiving, that should be directed to the Father, but on behalf of all men, and he specifically mentions those ruling and those authority. Is that a hard thing for us to do sometimes here? Is it a hard thing for us to thank the Lord for the system of government that we have, especially considering some of the leaders that we have, and yet we're told to do that? That's hard sometimes. So we're to lift up thanksgiving on behalf of others, especially those who rule and, you know, over us, I shouldn't. I hate to say it that way, but that's the reality of it. Sometimes they're supposed to be serving on our behalf. They don't always do that, and oftentimes rule over us instead. But he says, "All for kings and all authority. Why? So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity." There is something we can still praise our government for at this point, or not praise the government for, but thank God for the former government we have. We still have many freedoms here that we don't have anywhere else in the world. There's something to be thankful for. But it's hard for us to forget that and to miss that. The last one I'm going to mention here is we're supposed to be thankful because it's God's will for us. Plain and simple, it is God's will for us that we be thankful. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, jump down to verse 18. He says, we'll start in verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So we are to rejoice. That's part of God's will. We are to pray. That's obviously part of God's will. And finally, we're to be giving thanks in everything, he says. Why? Because this is God's will for us. And so we see in the scriptures this command to give thanks. We are to be a thankful people. It's not an option. If you want to be an obedient Christian, it means you need to develop a thankful heart and you need to be giving thanks. A Christian who lives his or her life without thankfulness is a disobedient believer. You are out of the will of the Lord. That's a hard thing to say, but that's the reality of it. 
I think about us here, if we, of all people, don't have reason to give thanks, what about our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world who face much more complicated and difficult times because these words apply to them too? Can you imagine a Christian in North Korea or in China or in Nigeria? I was reading this week about another pastor who was murdered in Nigeria by Muslims. Can you imagine them being asked to give thanks in all things? That is a challenging thing. But why would God expect them to do that? Because it's his will, but also so that his peace might guard their hearts and minds. So we are commanded as Christians to be thankful. So as I started thinking through this, I struggled a lot with how to approach this topic this morning. And I settled on simply looking at the different things that the psalmist has to say about thanksgiving. But as I did that, I discovered something. I could find a number of things in the Psalms, and I've got, what, one, two, three, four, five, six things that I've highlighted here from the Psalms, where David or the other individuals have something to thank God for. And I thought, this would be interesting, because we could simply take that and add that to our list of things to be thankful for. So if you ever struggle with what to praise or to thank the Lord for, I'll give you a list today of six things from the Old Testament. But here's what I discovered. Every one of those six things... I was able to find a New Testament verse telling us to do the same thing. So we've got an Old Testament verse that tells us what to be thankful for, and then we have a New Testament verse telling us to be thankful for the exact same thing. So that's what we're going to do today. There's going to be a lot of reading, um, and I'll be real frank. At any point as we do this, if you have something to say in that regard, share it. It's that simple this morning. Okay? So let's go ahead and start with the first one. The psalmist tells us that we should be thankful to God for his righteousness and his justice. Turn to Psalm chapter 9. Psalm chapter 9. We'll read uh, bigger chunks here, smaller chunks there. Sometimes it'll be one verse. So hang with me on this. Psalm chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. I will give thanks to the Lord with all of my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Now notice the linking there of praise and thanksgiving. Again, we find those same two words coupled together. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne judging righteously. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy has come to an end in permanent ruins and you have uprooted the cities. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord abides forever. He has established His throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the people with equity. The Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. For those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Now we notice he starts off that psalm right out of the gates with, I will thanks, or I will give thanks to the Lord with all of his heart. He would sing praises to the Most High. And what does this psalm teach us? All of this is about God's justice and his righteousness. So the psalmist is thanking God for his righteousness and his justice there. Keep your finger in the 
book of Psalms because we'll be coming back to that, but turn to Romans chapter 3. The psalmist there was obviously, his primary focus was righteousness and justice of God expressed in this current life. He was talking about his enemies there. But look at what we find when we turn to Romans chapter 3. There's another form of righteousness and justice that God should be thanked for and praised for. Starting in chapter 3, verse 9. We'll read another fairly decent-sized chunk here. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. That is our condition. We are all under sin. Why? He tells us. It's written. There's none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There's none who does good. There's not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongue they keep deceiving. He continues on that same pattern that there's not a single one of us that is righteous or just or even good. That's the condition of mankind. You go back up to verse 21 now. But apart from the law, but apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so Paul, you see this throughout the book of Romans, is thankful for God's righteousness and for God's justice. But he's focusing there on eternity. He's focusing there on the righteousness and the justice that God offers us in a spiritual sense. So clearly, we of all people have a reason to praise God for His righteousness and His justice. God is righteous. God is just. That's one of the reasons why Christ paid the penalty that He did. In order for God to be righteous, somebody had to pay the cost for our sin. So He was righteous. He was right in condemning His own Son. He was just in doing that on our behalf. In fact, we're going to look at that in part of our Christmas series. We're looking at why did Jesus have to come in the flesh and we're going to provide three reasons why he specifically had to come in the flesh. And one of those reasons has to do with God's righteousness and his justice. And so the first thing that we see from the scriptures that we can praise God for and we should praise him for is the fact that he is righteous and just. You can add that to your list. Second thing... We should thank God for his deliverance and his salvation. Turn back to Psalm chapter 18. Psalm chapter 18. I'm going to jump down to, well, we'll start off at the beginning of it, and I'm going to jump down a ways, but chapter 18. He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Again, that's tied with thankfulness in this psalm. 
and I am saved from my enemies. And so he starts out of the gate by singing the Lord's praises for his deliverance, his salvation. Now jump down to verses 46 in that same psalm. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who executes vengeance for me and subdues people under me. He delivers me from my enemies. Surely you lift me above those who rise up against me. You rescue me from the violent man. And then here it is, verse 49. Therefore I will give thanks to you among the nations, O Lord, and I will sing praises to your name. He gives great deliverance to his king and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. And so we see David praising and thanking the Lord here for his deliverance and salvation. And again, primarily the focus here is on the deliverance that the Lord offered to David from his enemies in an earthly sense. Now jump to 2 Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 just one verse verse 13 but we should always give thanks to God for you beloved by the Lord because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and faith in the truth so this is a theme that runs throughout Paul's letters is his thankfulness to God for the salvation that he gave to the people that Paul administered to. And so we see here again a reference to God's deliverance, his salvation, but in a spiritual sense. Again, we of all people, the recipients of God's salvation, have reason to be thankful. This ought to be something we thank God for, I I say, on a daily basis. We've already seen that we're all lost. None of us are good. And the fact that God would reach down and while we were yet sinners, choose to save those who didn't deserve it. We should thank God for his deliverance and his salvation and that it's something consistently that Paul did on a regular basis. So, you can add that to your list. Number two, praising God for his, thankful, or for his deliverance and his salvation. A million other verses you could turn to. If any come to mind, shout them out. We'll look them up. Yeah. by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Just how, I mean, I don't know, it's almost like the Lord has wooed us mm-hmm. all along, like through, he had sanctified us for the purpose of being saved. Like, I, I never, I, I don't know, I never saw that before, how, I mean, I know that in life you can look back and see the pinholes of light where God has shed on mm-hmm. your life and then you finally come to but I've never seen it written that way. You know, that through sanctification by the Holy Spirit, that he has been working in our lives. I don't know. It just really touched me. That's all I have to say. Does another passage come to mind that's very similar to this? Ephesians chapter 1. God has chosen us what? Before the foundations of the world. And you look through that chapter, and it lays out... And we've talked about this before. All the good works that God has done on our behalf. Now think about that for a minute. Before the foundation of the world, God's plan included choosing us. 
For what? For salvation. For justification. For sanctification. For inheritance. That is mind-numbing when you think about it. So give us something to be thankful for. And it is something I can't get my, my head around. Um, I'm going to be careful, otherwise I'll cry again. I'm such a wuss. I think about my own salvation experience. You know, Tim Hawkins does this great routine about how, you know, he wishes he had a great testimony. You know, I wish I was addicted to crack. You know, so that he has this great, amazing story. You know, well, I don't have all those great, amazing stories. You know? What I do have, though, is I spent a good part of my senior year in high school crying out to God to do something because I was miserable. I was suicidal. I was depressed. I was struggling. And so I show up at college, and there's this dude there who's trying to share the gospel with me, and I'm pushing him away. For at least six months, I ran away from this guy. I'm begging God to do something. I literally would go out and walk the streets at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning, weeping, begging God to take away the pain, the anguish, the depression. And the whole time, God's saying, I'm right there, I'm right there, I'm right there, and I'm going, get away from me. Get away from me. I'm like, you know, you heard the joke about the guy that's up on the rooftop and the waters are coming from the flood and it's getting a little higher and he's up there begging God to save him and a boat comes by and two guys going, jump down and we'll save you. No, God's going to save me. And then he's, they move on and then next thing you know, there's a helicopter that comes by and says, go ahead and grab the rope. And he goes, no, 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 God's going to save me. And the water keeps coming up. Well, the next thing you know, the guy's dead, standing before God. Why didn't you save me? And God's like, I sent you a boat and a helicopter. Well, there I was. Finally, after six months of that, I gave my life to Christ. I am the one sheep out of a 99. Every one of us are the one sheep out of a 99. Because God chose us before the foundation of the world to do what was necessary to save and deliver us from our own wretched, sinful lives. Should we be thankful? Absolutely. God shouldn't have to command that. It should literally seep out of every pore in our bodies when we wake up in the morning and say, Lord, thank you for giving me this life in Christ, for saving me. It ought to be something daily. So add that to your list. Another thing that the psalmist tells us we should thank the Lord for is his loyalty and his faithfulness. Isn't that what we just got done talking about in some respects? His loyalty and his faithfulness? Turn to Psalm chapter 136. Thank you for that, Joe. The rest of you don't have to be shy. Psalm 136. I'm just going to read part of this, and you'll see why in a minute. Psalm 136. Thanking God for His loyalty and His faithfulness. Listen to this. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Why don't you guys go ahead and join me in that. To him who alone does great wonders, what? For his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the heavens with skill, for his loving kindness is everlasting. We could go on and on because the psalmist does that. Every other verse is what? For his loving kindness is everlasting. That word loving kindness is a difficult word. It's used 180 times in the Old Testament. Different translations render it multiple ways. Loving kindness, loyal love, steadfast love, faithful love. 
different scholars disagree, get into arguments, fist fights over the exact nature of the word. But clearly the word seems to incorporate elements of love, mercy, kindness, goodness, loyalty, faithfulness. Matt, you might be able to give us some light on this at some point. But sometimes a single Hebrew word can be so packed with nuance and meaning that it's difficult to render it one for one with an English word. Is that true, Matt? It's a beautiful language. I'm convinced that's why God chose to use it to author 66% of our Bible. And this is one of those words. That's why scholars can't seem to agree exactly what does that word mean. Well, it's because it's got all these nuances to it. Again, love, goodness, mercy, kindness, loyalty, faithfulness. Probably one of the best, I'll call it definitions I've ever heard was from a professor I had, my Hebrew professor in seminary, who said, you know, I like to define that word as God's covenant loyalty to his people. Meaning, it expresses God's faithfulness to his people because of his covenant with them. And because of that, he offers them love, goodness, kindness, loyalty, faithfulness. I like that translation. That it's God's covenant loyalty. And it applies not just to the Jews... But it applies to us as well because we are in a covenant relationship with our Heavenly Father because of what Jesus Christ did. It is the new covenant in His blood. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Starting in verse 4. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you are enriched, or were enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. For that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Verse 9, God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you. What is he saying here? He starts out with saying that he's thanking the Lord. Verse 4. Why? Because verse 9, God is faithful. That's probably one of God's greatest attributes. That he is faithful. He is loyal to us. It's the third thing you can add to your list to thank God for is that he is loyal and faithful. He is dependable. What he says he will do all of his promises will come true. You know, it's interesting. Some of the groups I'm a part of on Facebook regarding end times, the, the debates all the time about whether or not God is done with Israel. You know, the, the main issue with that, the reason God cannot be done with Israel is because he made certain promises to Israel. And he will fulfill those promises to Israel because he is faithful. He has no other option. And considering that the Bible tells us that the Old Testament, the law was given to serve as a tutor to lead us to Christ. What we see in God's faithfulness to Israel is just a way to teach us about his faithfulness to us as well. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that nothing can separate us from Christ. Nothing can separate us from Christ. Why? God has promised salvation for those that are in Christ. He is faithful. We can trust him. Name one other thing in this world that is reliable, as faithful, and as loyal, and as trustworthy as God himself. Anybody? 
Anybody? No. One of the things I, in one of the messages coming up, I'm leading off with the idiom, you know, there's only two things certain in life, death and taxes. Maybe that's true from a human perspective, but the other certainty is that God is faithful. He is loyal. So go ahead and put that in your holster. That's number three. Another thing we should be thankful for is God's preeminence and who he is. Preeminence in the Bible refers to God's greatness, his superiority over all things. So when we say that God is preeminent, it means he's above all things. He's better than all things. He's greater than all things. He is above all things. He controls all things. So his preeminence and who he is, we should be thanking him for that. In fact, that's partly where his loyalty and faithfulness come. That's why we can trust him. He has the power and the authority, the preeminence to be able to do all the things that he promised. You and I can't. We can make promises, and sometimes we break those promises because we just plain can't fulfill them. That's not the case with God. Why? He is preeminent. All-powerful over all things. Turn to Psalm chapter 95. Psalm chapter 95. We'll start in verse 1. O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. Why? For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods, in whose hands are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for in it, is, or for it was He who made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord God our Maker, for he is our God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice, not harden your hearts as in Meribah, as in the day of Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had been my work. For forty years I loathed that generation. And said they are a people who err in their heart, and they do not know my ways. Therefore I swore my anger, truly they shall not enter my rest. You see God, a little bit of God's wrath there, but look at the way that he starts the psalm. Let us sing for joy, let us shout joyfully, let us come before God with thanksgiving. Why? Because he is great. He is preeminent over all things. The equivalent to that is Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11, jump down to verse 16. We'll start in 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there, was, there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. That is a statement of God's preeminence over all things. He will reign over his creation. It will be his kingdom. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, O Lord, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to uh, reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. I think about the time that we're in right now. We don't know what's going to happen here. All the stuff happening in the Middle East. There's some that say this is it. 
That's just a matter of time now. These are the final steps necessary. They may very well be right. There are those that say, no, it's not quite time yet. They may be right. We're told to always be ready. So, we be ready. Right? But the thing that is absolutely clear is no matter what happens, God is preeminent. God is over all things. And it's going to work out and play out exactly as God says and said it will play out. And we can be assured of that. So it will all work out the way God wants it to work out. And we should be thankful for that. We don't have to despair. God's plan. We've known about it. We can follow the steps. Nothing's going to catch him off guard. It's not like God's got to now figure out some new plan. doesn't matter what Iran wants to do, or Syria, or Hezbollah, or Hamas, or any of those. We know their fate. We know what God's purpose and plan is. In the end, he will ultimately exalt himself and Jesus Christ. He will do what he chooses to do with Israel, according to his plan as laid out in the scriptures. But he will also, it says here, reward those who know him. It's you and me. We should thank God for his preeminence and for who he is. That's ultimately where our hope comes from, is it not? So that's number four. Add it to your list. I'm giving you a list so that you can pull it out in the morning and start offering God some thanksgiving. I should have done seven. You'd have one for every day of the week, but you're going to have to repeat one. What's that? A day of rest. There you go. Another thing that the scriptures tell us we should do is thank God for his works what he does so we praise him for who he is in his preeminence but we also praise him for what he does jump to Psalm chapter 111 verse 1 praise the Lord and I will give thanks again see the coupling there Praise and thanks to the Lord with all of my heart and the company of the upright in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has given food to those who fear him. He will be remembered, or he will remember his covenant forever. He has made known to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are truth and justice. All his precepts are sure. They are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and righteousness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. And so the psalmist here praises the Lord for all of his works. You know, we don't have to look too hard to see God working, do we? At all. We should be reminded, I think we should be able to wake up every day and just think about the day before and go, man, Lord, what did you do yesterday? And we ought to almost not even run out of things to praise Him for if we really think about it. But oftentimes we go day to day and we seem to forget. The fact that we get up and breathe and take our breath in the morning is all because of God's work. He sustains us. We would be dead otherwise. You know, we talked about this a while back, about um, the way that the Gospels portrayed in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And we saw how so much of God's work there, and the things that he did, and the preservation that he did, even you know, taking somebody like Cain and putting a mark on his head to protect him, was an act of God's grace. It was his work. We saw how he worked you know, with Noah. and the, We can go on and on and on, but even in our own lives, we can 
If we just stop and think about it, can see the awesome things that God does in our life. And that ought to cause us to reach out and praise Him. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, jump down to verse 3. Remember I told you this is a common theme in Paul's letters, but notice what he says to the Colossians, verse 3. We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Why does he offer up thanks to God? Verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful and servant of Christ on our behalf, as he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. He's talking there about the work of God in their lives. God had saved the Colossians and Paul as he's writing them. The very first thought out of his mind is to thank and to praise God for what he had done in the Colossians' lives. That alone ought to get us up out of bed in the morning. Lord, thank you for saving me. We shouldn't even have to think twice about it. I'll be real honest, I've shared with you before, my prayer time is in the morning when I first wake up, and that is almost repeated daily by me. Because I know I didn't deserve it. So that's where I start. We've got to be thanking God for the work that He's done in our lives, which includes salvation. But even all the other things, I shared with some of you, we've had a security breach at work, and so I've been literally locked out of everything at work, waiting every day for a text and when the text comes, i got about five minutes to get on a Zoom call, and so I've done that a couple of times. I'm watching my phone this morning. They know if it happens this morning, I'm not on the call. But it could happen this afternoon. But I've been praying already. I'm like, Lord, you're going to need to help me this week because once it starts, once I have to start getting my users back in, I've got 120 users that I've got to call individually one at a time and walk them through a new procedure to get back into the system. I figure I could probably do four or five an hour. Do the math on that. It is going to be a really busy, stressful time once it starts. I'm already thanking God for his work because I know there's going to have to be some sustaining there. You know, Matt sometimes texts about the frustration at work and and how often do we have to rely on Christ and his work just to get us through. So we ought to be thanking God for his works. The very last one, well, first of all, add that to your list. The last one we'll touch base on here, and this by no means exhausts what the scriptures teach us about thanking God, but the last one is we should thank him for his word. Psalm chapter 119. Psalm chapter 119. I'm not going to read all of it because it's a long one. Psalm 119, the first seven verses or so, and then we'll jump on a couple of other verses further down. But How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies. We seek him with all, who seek him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes that I shall not be ashamed when I 
Look upon all your commandments. I shall give thanks to you with upright heart when I learn your righteous judgments. You see that? I will give thanks when I learn of your righteous judgments, your commandments. I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. So that's how he starts off. But if you jump down now into verse 62. At midnight I shall rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous ordinances. The dude gets himself out of bed at midnight to thank the Lord for his righteous judgments and statutes. Jump down into verse 164. Well, we'll actually start with verse 161. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. I hate and despise falsehood, but I love your law. And then look at this. Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous ordinances. Now, oftentimes you see this phrase, um, Seven times, or oftentimes it would be maybe something like, six times I do this, yay, seven, or something similar to that. Was he literally counting and praising and thanking the Lord for his ordinances seven times a day? This is a way, he might have been, but it was primarily a way of saying, I do this all day long. I do this all day long. I praise you for your righteous ordinances, which is another way of saying your word. Turn to Second Thessalonians chapter three. Second Thessalonians chapter three. I'm sorry, chapter two. Jump down to verse thirteen. Paul writing again to the Thessalonians, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. Because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. The reason I chose that one is because Paul is giving thanks because God chose them in part because of the truth. You know, the scriptures constantly remind us of the importance and the value of God's word. And we ought to be thankful that God saw fit to reveal himself. When I was sharing with Duke, one of the things that I asked him was, you know, because he believes in a God, but he also was very open to the idea that God is many forms and many ways and all religions are kind of the same. And So I asked him, I said, do you think if God exists, since God exists, that he'd want us to know that he exists and in what form? And he said, absolutely. And so I asked him, well, how does he do that? And he said, well, partly, probably through what we see, we can pretty much see there is a God. And I said, yeah, but how do we differentiate Christian God from the Muslim God, from the Hindu God? based on what we see in creation? And he went, that's a good question. And I said, well, God has written to us. He has told us. He didn't leave us orphaned. He didn't leave us to figure it out. And so I asked him, I said, what is the problem with looking at creation? He said, I guess we could probably misinterpret it. And I said, absolutely. So do you think that if God exists, that he'd want us to know accurately how to interpret this? And his response was, yeah, probably. And I said, that's what this is for. God could have left us on our own. Especially since Paul tells us in Romans 1 that we've chosen to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. But he didn't choose to leave us on our own. He worked through the prophets and apostles and angels to write what we have here. We ought to be thankful for that. Thank you, Lord, for your word. It's what tells us about him. 
tells us who he is. It tells us about our need for Christ. It tells us about the salvation found in him alone. Among all things in his word that ought to be on the top of that list is thanking him for the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, telling us the way of salvation. So, add that to your list. So one of the things we find in the scriptures is that we're called to be thankful in all things. I think that's maybe one of the things we struggle with sometimes. But yet it's probably the easiest thing for us to do. We've got a whole list of things here. Out of all people, we ought to be the most thankful. It's unfortunate when we see Christians who don't appear to be all that thankful. Poor, sad, sorry sack of flesh (laughs) that just seems to willow in misery, right? No, we ought to be the most thankful of all people. We've got a list of six things here. God is righteous and just. We can thank him for his deliverance, for his salvation. We can thank him for his loyalness and his faithfulness to us. We can thank him for his preeminence, all-powerful nature and all that he is. We can thank him for being a God who does amazing works. We can thank him for giving us his word. There's more. I'll let you figure that out on your own, but what a great way to kind of focus our minds and our thoughts at this time of Thanksgiving that we call Thanksgiving. Amen?